Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another cloudy day here in the capital city as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. My name is Scott Challoner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Jackie Bell. Jackie is the owner and manager of JB's Childcare, an outdoor indoor nursery in Lochmaben, Scotland. Jackie, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us today. Hello. Hi Jackie, real pleasure having you on with us. Now um, the purpose of this uh, discussion is to understand your take on leadership as a whole and leadership I think is something it's fair to say that's really been put to the test at the moment isn't it with the emergence of the COVID-19 pandemic and different business leaders in various sectors and of course those in government having to navigate their way through this crisis. Tell me for somebody working within childcare especially up in Scotland how has it been trying to navigate the last few weeks because I can imagine it's been a tremendous challenge not least recently with the sort of diversity in approach in terms of lifting restrictions? Yes, it, it has been very challenging. We've, we found ourselves in a place where, where we couldn't have imagined making decisions on a daily basis and having to make very quick decisions. I mean, right at the start, we had a huge decision to make as keeping our nursery open, keeping our nursery open for key workers during the pandemic. And to speak to our staff and make sure they were comfortable doing that, because it's all very well for me to make these decisions, but I had to make sure that my team were able to come on board with me. I think some of them had personal situations that they couldn't work, um, but out of 17 staff, we had 13 that were prepared to work. And... As a, as a manager and leader, I decided that not to furlough any of these girls because we needed to work in a two-way rota, and that was good for their health and well-being as well as for the nursery. But we went from uh, 80 children a day accessing our nursery, which were babies right through to after-school children, and that dropped right down to eight children at one point. So it was a financial strain and we were having to make financial decisions as well. But we also wanted to do our bit. We wanted to help, especially right back in April when things looked so desperate. Mm. Um, Staff have been amazing and the children have been so resilient. We've had children access our nursery that we had never met before. And Mm. normally we welcome our families in show them around the setting and make them feel valued and welcomed. But we were in a completely different situation where parents were kept at the door and children came in to staff they'd never met before. But we gave them the care they needed, the fun day with lots of activities and used social media to really to communicate with our families. During all of this happening, we had to you know, look at new policies and procedures, how we were going to work all of these things out, getting our our messages across to parents not to come in the door, to ring the bell, stand back. We would take the children, having to empty the nursery of all our resources and really keep everyone safe, staff and children, to, you know, the local authority have been really helpful. They have assisted us every step of the way 
They've helped with um, getting the nursery deep cleaned. They've helped with PPE supplies um, and really been in touch with us and supported us right through this. And we're, we're superbly um, grateful for that. Um, at the moment, we are working with them trying to sort out children into social bubbles. Mm. So it's a small group of children with a staff member who don't come in contact with anybody else. We have quite a large nursery, so it's not been too difficult. And as we say, we, we very much are an outdoor nursery. So outdoor is a safe place to be. And for the first time in Scotland, I think we have been blessed with the weather and we've been able to access outdoors every day. So we're managing our social bubbles. Staff have to be there to meet the children first thing in the morning and stay with them right to the end of their day. This is a different way for staff to work. So normally people would work, would work a shift pattern. Now they're having to come in at 8 o'clock and stay till 6 o'clock. So it, it's all changed. And, and, and every day we're looking at new things that are being implemented and taking these on board. Um, really looking for local authority and the First Minister to tell us what to do next, which is, is very difficult for us too because we're a forward-thinking nursery mm. and have always made our own decisions and now we are, we are being directed from a different source. So it's, it's very different. And um, There's a lot of fantastic things um, online. At the moment, we're doing a virtual nature classroom training where the staff um, are remotely training to work with, with our families. The families can can access this online as well as the nursery teacher and, and it's working very well. Things that we thought might be difficult have turned out to be actually quite doable for us. Um, financially, things have been a little bit tricky. Um, not being able to furlough to, or to access the furlough scheme because mm. we found we needed to look after our Staff, um, we've not qualified for any of the grants because we haven't met the criteria. Um, but we did have we did have a bit of money. We we had money put aside for you know another nursery, hopefully that we we had planned you know ahead of, and we've had to use some of those funds just really to keep the nursery afloat at the moment. And it doesn't look as if it's going to change anytime soon. So the worry for me at the moment is, when can I get my customers back? These families that have supported us through our first 10 years of of being JB Childcare, they've been there every step of the way. And we've had to say, you know, that they can't come to the nursery at the moment. When, when will we be able to get them back and welcome the children back into that caring situation that, that we're so used to? Together. And obviously, of course, you're waiting uh, for news from uh, Holyrood and the First Minister to determine when yeah. that will be, of course, because that's um, that going to be a very devolved issue, of course. Um, but do you think thus far, Jackie, the guidance that you have received from the Scottish Government has been clear? Because there's been a great deal of debate about the clarity coming from Westminster. So I'm interested to understand how that is with Holyrood. Yes, I do. I, I feel that the guidance has been very clear. Um, you know, we're still looking for frontline workers and vulnerable children. Mm-hmm. 
And and that's basically what we're doing. We're providing care to those children at the moment. Um, the First Minister has said that they're looking to go back after our summer break, which will be the beginning of August, mm-hmm. um, on a part-time basis. So how will that look for us? And And one of the worries, for me personally is if the children are not in school for a full week if they're in school for two days where will they go for the other three days you know we used to to do after school care and before school care and obviously those children won't be able to access our nursery because we will have to keep social distancing measures in place it will be less children that will be available but while grandparents are not able to help with the care of the children. And we used to have a great relationship with our families where we did share very much the care of the children between grandparents and ourselves. We're also waiting for clarity from the care inspectorate as to what measures we will have to put in place to get back um, and what numbers we will be allowed in our nurseries. Mm. Um, We do have a good outdoor space. But again, we have to keep everybody safe, children and staff. That's exactly it, isn't it? Safety, um, of course, is paramount. And during this time, we've seen businesses being forced to innovate and expand their offerings to the online domain. And we've seen that with yourselves as well by using social media and technology to keep in touch with children and families. And if the nursery is going to be operating under the new normal with significantly limited capacity as well, could you see yourself under the new normal maybe expanding more offering online as well? Yes. Definitely. I I think um, our our families are very good at keeping in touch with us. Even now, you know, children that are not accessing the nursery are sending little videos and clips through to show us what their days are looking like. Um, Parents that have inquired about spaces for babies, people who are looking, you know, planning ahead as normal, uh, we put a virtual tour of the nursery online. some of, there, there are some online challenges. Not everybody has access to this, and we are we are very much aware of that. Um, we've got transition coming up: children who will leave our preschool setting to go to primary one, and we are sending out reports to the, the parents. We've 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 gone round and delivered little packs to them, things they can be working on, getting ready. Um, really to get to, to start P1 um, the schools are very good at, at using technology as well and they've been sending tours of the schools home to some of the, the children which is, has been brilliant um, and it's just that it's going to be so different for everybody and nobody knows how, how it's going to work out at all um, everyone's adapting as they go along all my staff are us as a management team, you know, we're all we're all adapting to this new situation, and I think we're adapting quite well. There's a lot of negativity in the press sometimes, but I think you know, children who are coming to the nursery are having a lovely day. Social bubbles, you know, people are saying you know they can't mix with their friends, and that they're very happy mixing with the children they're with and with the staff members that's there. So I feel I feel quite heartened at the moment that it's all working out as well as we could expect it to.
And that's really, really good to hear um, as well. And has it been sort of quite a challenge sort of grappling with the need to provide some reassurance to people around you amid all of the uncertainty or as, as you say, have they responded really, really well to it? Because I understand that having some quite difficult discussions um, about the fact that we actually don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's expected of us yet. We need to wait for the future to become clearer. Sometimes that can be difficult when people are looking to you as a business leader for some reassurance, can't it? Yes, but it has been very difficult. Um, we're sending emails and things out to our, our families as we go along, and, and every new decision we're making, we are letting them know what we're doing and, and how nursery is looking at the moment, sending out our little video clips to say, you know, don't bring this to the nursery or do or whatever. And, and parents that are unable to access it, we're able to reassure them we're trying our very best at all. But I think that the hardest one is probably our new families who are waiting to start the nursery who have not got to know us and not seen the environment. But we'll deal with that when the time comes. I think that's it. We, I think if you look too far ahead, it's quite scary. I think the thing that's worked for me as a, a manager at this moment is to, to do our small steps of change and to take my team with me through these small steps of change and to include our families. What would you like JB's nursery to look like when you come back? What would give you the reassurance that your child would be safe to include them in these decisions? Mm, I think that's exactly right in what you're saying. I can certainly see where you're coming from uh, from that point of view, Jackie. And if we do think just for a moment now about the next year or so and the new normal that we can expect, what do you envision for yourself and for JBs? And what do you really hope to achieve as we move through the pandemic and really hopefully out of the other side and look to the long-term future? I think all we can hope for at the moment is is to maintain our safety procedures, to welcome our families back into GBs and to get back where we were when this happened in March, just to get back there and just to see everybody again and reassure them that, you know, this is still the place they chose um, to give their children the best care that we can. And, and that's as far as I can go. We had lots of dreams and aspirations. This is our 10th anniversary, 10 years in business, and we had lots to do, lots of things, nice things planned that have all been put on hold, but we will do them. And, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed for everybody that it won't be too far ahead in the future. But I think looking just now, I think we just need to get back to where we were. I can see exactly where you're coming from uh, Jackie and let's hope that that does happen sooner rather than later and that JB's can really begin to look to grow again and look to a more prosperous future and you know I think it would actually be fantastic in the next few months once we begin to understand more about the new normal and how things are getting on to catch up and have you back on the program just to see how things are coming along in that respect I think that would be fantastic given how informative it's been having you with us today. Yes that would be lovely I would look forward to that very much. I, it would be a real pleasure for myself and I'm sure it would be from a listener's perspective as well Jackie it's been fantastic having you uh, join us this um, afternoon and most importantly in the meantime do take care and do stay safe with all still going on because we're certainly not out of the woods with this yet thank you very much thank you
That was Jackie Bell speaking, the owner and manager of JB's Childcare. Coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Matthew O'Neill for his exclusive interview with Lord David Blunkett. Lord Blunkett is an active member of the House of Lords, a former Labour MP and Secretary of State, and the chairman of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Lord Blunkett himself rose to prominence to become one of the most notable politicians of his generation, holding a number of senior positions in Tony Blair's cabinet and serving as the MP for his Sheffield, Brightside and Hillsborough constituency for 28 years, all despite being blind from birth. He was elevated to the House of Lords in August of 2015 when he was anointed Baron Blunkett of Brightside and Hillsborough, his old constituency. And I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Matthew enjoyed speaking with him. That is coming up next. Lord Blunkett, welcome. Thank you very much. It's very good to be with you. Um, well, of course, uh, nothing is being said uh, at the moment other than COVID-19, uh, which uh, we must touch on. Um, what would your message be to small businesses who are trying to keep going? Well, I think the last ones standing will be the ones that thrive when we get back to some sort of normality. So it's have confidence and courage. Obviously, take advantage as far as you can of the government help. I think that Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, has gone about as far as you could have expected Mm -hmm. in the circumstances. There are obviously small businesses that fall between the cracks. Those who uh, don't have um, defined premises, can't benefit from the business rate waiver, uh, have not really been able to demonstrate that they can uh, adhere to the PAYE for furloughing staff and, of course, whether they can receive the the grant, 10,000 or 25,000, all all of those who can uh, are obviously able at least to benefit from that for the time being and look to the future. But I think the second thing to say, and they don't need me to tell them this as a politician who who did once do a business studies qualification, which is that it will be a different world and being able Mm. to think about how that world will look in a year's time and be creative about it and learn from not just what's happening to you at this moment in time, but to others around you and the sector that you're working in, that will be really important. Do you feel that the long-term effects of uh, the COVID-19 outbreak uh, will in some ways be positive uh, for British industry? Well, only in the sense that people are having to be creative, they're having to adjust and innovate. Therefore, they're thinking about more productive, if you like, greater productivity ways of delivering the same service or delivering the same products. And in that sense, I think we'll have temporarily at least very much higher unemployment than we've become used to, but we'll probably have a burst of productivity, Mm -hmm. which will help with the recovery, whether it will help with the inequity of the way in which our economy is imbalanced both between services and product productivity and, and the production of goods and services, I'm not sure. What we will need to try and do is to ensure that the geographic imbalance that exists is, as far as humanly possible, is dealt with by both uh, the entrepreneurship and innovation from the bottom up and targeted government help, which will still be needed. And we are now in the throes of the kind of borrowing that we saw back in 2008 to save the banking and economic system, we're we're having to do that to save 
the whole of our productive business and mm -hmm. commerce, and I think that will have to be sustained for some time. Do you feel that people will take a second look at global supply chains in the wake of this outbreak? I think there's going to be much more creative ways of using local supply and linking up inside sectors much more effectively. And I hope that the Leaders' Council will be able to play a part in that in the sense that people who mm. have something in common, a synergy in terms of what they're delivering, whether it's a service or whether it's manufacturing or whatever, uh, will be able to see that there's a, a, a good outcome from knowing the sector better, linking with people, not just geographically locally, but those in this country who may not have been on the radar in terms of what they produced for the supply chain. And, of course, um, ensuring, because there's quite a lot of fraud going on as we speak with um, people getting into cyber attacks, that they'll also take account of going into the the cybersecurity side effectively as well. The more we are online, the more people who are working from home, the more vulnerable those businesses and their supply chain become. And that's something to think about as well. How important is strong leadership at the moment? Well, I actually think that it's brought to the fore leadership in a whole range of areas from obviously government itself. And there's been ups and downs with the Prime Minister's a severe illness, but all the way through the public and private sector, people have, to use the jargon, stepped up. And they've shown uh, local, regional, national level the kind of leadership that Britain historically was very good at. Regrettably, we've not seen, seen the same on the international scene for mm. all kinds of reasons, uh, but maybe we will in future. So I think out of this will come experience of people who have seen an opportunity to do good as well as seen an opportunity to provide a good uh, a service or goods, uh, including, for instance, shortages uh, for the health and social care uh, system, um, the food chain and the like. Uh, but also, I think, in terms of seeing the, the synergy between the private and the voluntary sector and using people's uh, commitment to each other in a very positive way. I, I'm not sentimental about this. Things will revert. Mm -hmm. But actually, I think there is a, a kind of moment of moral judgment of people feeling that they've got a role to play outside the immediate survival that they're engaged in. And if we can hang on to a little bit of that social responsibility, that will be a very positive outcome. Absolutely. Now, what's your broad view of how the government is responding to this? Are you broadly supportive of their measures? Well, it may surprise people to hear that, that I have been very supportive. Of course, there's been legitimate criticisms about the speed of response on protective equipment and on issues relating to testing. But my own view is very similar to the challenge that was made to the Prime Minister of Italy when people said, why didn't you close Italy down faster? And he said, a fortnight before we did it, I would have been considered to be a madman and nobody would have agreed to do it mm. if I'd tried to move too quickly. And I, I think that's something that we need to reflect on here in the UK. We, we may have seen the signals elsewhere uh, across the world and taken them more 
seriously at the time. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. But as someone who's uh, had his life in uh, the opposite uh, political party to the, the present government, I think that with some hiccups and mistakes, they've not done a bad job in what has been incredibly difficult circumstances. And you're absolutely right. In a, in a liberal uh, democracy that we live in, it's, it's very difficult for people to swallow orders given to them from government. Um, well, the, the UK and, um, and the US, and to some extent uh, the Scandinavian countries, have a very different interest, uh, history and, and therefore interest in maintaining the freedom to decide and the persuasion and consent mm. that's required uh, those countries that have experienced one way or another totalitarianism over the last century have a slightly different way of coming at this. Mm. I don't want to exaggerate it, but I think that that's why getting the balance right of getting people to go along with what you want them to do in their interests as well as the nation as a whole is a sensible proportional balance. And I think we now need to adjust to the coming out of the crisis gradually uh, readjusting to recovery uh, in the same way. Now, something you've mentioned recently on this balance is uh, the police overreach and the enforcement of the COVID-19 uh, structures that have been put in place. What have they done right and where have they gone too far? Well, I think that they were interpreting what was not necessarily as clear right. advice as it might have been for all kinds of reasons because people were feeling their way. I think what's come out of it has been uh, a demonstration by local police services in some parts of the country that they could get people to do what was needed without the heavy hand of drones overhead mm. or people being told that they you know, shouldn't be walking in the street because this was all about self-isolation, not incarceration. It was about getting people not to pass the infection on to each other and therefore to provide distance rather than to make our lives a misery. Those police services that adopted that policing by consent and chipping people along did really well. Those who went over the top, I think, soon got a very substantial pushback. And one of the strengths of our democracy is that you could have that debate. People could say, I'm terribly sorry, we, we think the police force in our area has gone over the top, and that in itself is a constraint and uh, a readjustment. That, that's another strength of um, living in a country where you can have opinions and express them without actually being thought to be a fool. Now, of course, uh, the government has faced criticism uh, that they were slow to react, uh, and Boris Johnson wasn't present at the early COVID-19 COBRA meetings. Now, uh, Number 10 has claimed that this is normal practice, uh, the health secretary often chairs corporate meetings uh, related to health. Uh, does this tally with your experience as a Secretary of State, or would you have expected the PM uh, to be more hands-on during the initial stages? I think different prime ministers do have a very different style. And Boris's style, which I think will now be considerably adjusted, was very swashbuckling. In some senses, delegating is a good thing, uh, as every leader of every business or public service knows those who try to pull too much into themselves end up with a massive bottleneck, a great uh, failure of trust and the inability of people to show what they're worth and to, to demonstrate their capability. 
So I, I, I'd be very wary of jumping in and saying he was wrong to delegate the essential COBRA meetings. What I was surprised about was that he didn't um, chair the first couple because mm-hmm. my experience with Tony Blair for the eight years I was in cabinet was that Tony was a great delegator, but he would get a grip to begin with, watch what the difficulties were, and then give people direction and confidence to be able to get on with it. So looking back, I think Boris himself probably thinks, God, I wish I'd spotted the signals from elsewhere in the world more rapidly, and I'd just been there. However, this also raises another issue. All of us in positions of leadership need good teams around us. Mm -hmm. I think after this is over, he will be assessing those who really did step up and those who demonstrated their inadequacy. I think we'll probably end up in a year's time with a much stronger cabinet than we have today. Well, absolutely. And of course, uh, we've seen a a significant uh, drop in the visibility of uh, certain special advisors like Dominic Cummings uh, during this uh, entire period. So it'd be interesting to see how that pans out. Um, Well, it's certainly readjusted the role of those behind the scenes with those who should be taking the decisions, having received advice, obviously, there's been a complete transformation in the profile of experts, if I might use that term, who'd previously been denigrated. Mm-hmm. Scientists, medics, people with behavioral science uh, understanding. My only criticism was, were we getting wide enough advice? Were we narrowing it too much to a couple of key centers in London? But that's because I've always been adverse to everything being London-centric. I think there's great expertise, wisdom, experience out in the sticks, and uh, we should use it. Uh, rightly so. Um, now, was part pandemic planning part of your time as a minister, particularly perhaps uh, when you were Home Secretary? Well, it was, but it was on the back of risk arising out of counter-terrorism measures. Right. Uh, I was the Home Secretary for three months when the attack took place in September 2001 on the World Trade Center and beyond, we did an enormous amount of uh, scenario planning, both desktop and and real. On the back of that, it was very heavily orientated to future developing terrorism risk. I certainly got involved with talking about pandemics. I remember being at a seminar in Edinburgh, where the university there had done a lot of work itself on the issue of pandemics. And of course, we we saw SARS and other things emerging. I I think it would, people criticized the government for not picking up the report from 2015, five years ago. I think that what happens is human nature kicks in. You deal with what you're immediately faced with. Mm. You you can you can sponsor reports. This is true of business planning, of course, as well, and scenario planning for what business continuity will look like, recovery plans for business, what will happen if um, there's a cyber attack, what happens if there's an energy shutdown. Shut um, these kind of things you, you can look at, but you're immediately turning your eyes to what's in front of you. And had we picked up a bit more on the danger from Ebola and SARS and what have you in the past, then we might have said, what if something hits us in the developed nations that we don't have a vaccine for, Mm -hmm. that we can't immediately whisk up 
uh, protective materials or equipment or, for that matter, medicines that help with recovery, all of which we now see are a danger. I think this will make an enormous difference to the planning for the, for the years ahead. I hope it will be widened so that we don't just look at what's happened. But very rarely do you see something exactly repeat itself. Some of the circumstances will be, but others won't. So that's why I've put emphasis in what I talk about on looking at the other virus, the cyber attack uh, scenario, mm -hmm. which could be just as dangerous in a, uh, a world of just-in-time provision. One of the miracles of uh, the modern developed world, except for the very poor, has been the distribution of food. A lot of it on computerized, uh, technologically advanced systems, if that were to come down, we'd be in real trouble. So I think we need to think those sort of scenarios as well. So have a full plan across uh, both sectors, uh, biological warfare, pandemics, and uh, cyber warfare. Yes, and to do so on different levels, I think, again, thinking of thinking global but acting local, we mm. need a lot more to think about what would happen if something took shape that actually broke down those national and global chains and how we would cope. And without, uh, obviously, we've got enough fear and anxiety to last a lifetime without creating even more anxiety. We can think about those things for the future in a more rational way, I think. Now, aside from the physical uh, threat of the virus, one of the things that people are vastly worried about is the effect on uh, the economy, not just national economy, but also the world economy. Um, now, it has been said by certain parties, um, and uh, I'd like to garner your uh, thoughts on this. Is there a danger of the effects of the lockdown being even worse than those of the virus? Were it be prolonged, I fear that that balance would tip the other way. It is about proportionality. It is about balance. It's the wisdom of Solomon, really, to, to get the moment right when you start to move and then to move quickly. There's no doubt whatsoever that we are stocking up, not just on the economic and employment front, which will be devastating enough, but on the health and social well-being front, enormous challenges, and they will need careful handling because there's a lot of people whose lives, for a variety of reasons, are at risk in the future on a scale that we've been dealing with over the, the immediate handling of the pandemic, concentrating really hard on those affected by COVID-19, those sadly who have died or been seriously incapacitated, that will roll over into the economic, the social, the mental health and cultural well-being of the nation. And that will need all of us to pull together as well. Absolutely. Now, do you believe the government's doing enough for business? I think that the speed of reaction once the scale of the pandemic was clear was very good. I've praised Ricky Sunak for his action. Uh, remember a chancellor who only just come into office was planning to deliver the budget in the middle of March and has had three, at least three equivalent budgets since. 
I think he's handled it very well. Understandably worried now about what we're doing to our economy. The level of borrowing is sustainable because of low interest rates, but it reaches a point, of course, where it tips over so that you can't then do the kind of structural investment requirements that the government were laying out before and in the March budget. And those will have their consequences as well as a planned payback over many years. I think we've learned something over the last few months. We, we needed to take immediate action. We don't want another round of austerity equivalent from 2010 through to 2019. I don't think the nation, on the back of what's happened and the challenges we have, could take that. And therefore, we need a different plan, economic plan, over a much longer period, just as we did from the Second World War all the way through to 2002, when the final American loans were paid off. Now, of course, uh, one thing that's on everyone's lips, um, how much longer do you believe uh, that the lockdown can go on for? I believe that we need to be substantially back in action as an economy in June. This obviously is led in terms of places where people would meet in large numbers, having to uh, adjust to the fact that it will be longer for them. And sadly, that will involve business closures. It's why the Chancellor extended the furlough scheme to the end of June. Mm -hmm. But unless we, we get things moving in June, I think we'll run into the summer where all kinds of services and industries will have a chain reaction effect. And what happens with one will then have a major impact on another. And then you get the skittle effect where things get knocked down that you hadn't perceived were going to be affected. So I very much, if I were in government, and I always think of things in that context, what would I do if I were in government? I would be on the side from... The second week in May, on the side of the Hawks, in terms of saying we've got to start moving and we've got to do so with the collaboration and cooperation of the public, who have got the message, who did behave, who responded magnificently. Let's try and get back, perhaps you know, doing things differently for a time, but substantially getting back to business as usual. Unless we do that, then those areas that can't and wouldn't expect to be back in action immediately get pushed further into the middle of the year in the autumn, and then they become unsustainable. Now, of course, um, one of the other major developments we've had recently are the changes in the, uh, the Labour Party. So if we could just uh, speak on the Labour Party for uh, a while. Um, this might sound like uh, an obvious question, but uh, how does uh, Secure uh, differ from Mr Corbyn? Well, I'm biased because I believe the Labour Party um, has come out of four and a half years of a black hole of a nightmare mm. uh, where it neither represented a, a, a credible opposition nor a, an electable government. And the combination was to let those who supported the Labour Party and needed some of its policies uh, let them down very badly. Sir Keir Starmer both is a highly intelligent a uh, professional lawyer who, as director of public prosecutions, 
led the service well, uh, had to take difficult decisions at a time of austerity, understands the world beyond Labour members, but has been able to do business with those who originally supported Jeremy Corbyn mm-hmm. and was able to command support from them. His creation of a balanced shadow ministerial team has been very encouraging. Um, I, I supported Lisa Nandy, who he's made shadow foreign secretary, because I thought she understood the north of England and uh, the uh, the disaffected uh, Labour, former Labour voters. But I believe that Sakir has taken on board those who have something really sensible to offer. And I believe he will be both a, a great leader of the opposition, more importantly, he will then present himself as a credible alternative prime minister. And all governments need an alternative government at their shoulder. Mm. Uh, it was true of us from 97, and it took the Conservatives some time to recover and to get to that position, but they did, and the Labour Party will, and that's crucial for our democracy. All of us need to understand and appreciate that a living, breathing, functioning democracy requires uh, a credible, confident, and uh, in many ways uh, supportable opposition, as well as a government that we clearly want to do well, because none of us want as we didn't with the COVID crisis, none of us want the government to fail. We want to see our economy recover. We want our social well-being to be taken into account. We want to overcome deep-seated inequality and poverty. And we want to do it with enterprise and entrepreneurship and business playing their role. And that is about leadership nationally, locally, in the private and the public sector, people with ideas, with confidence, with the ability to pull teams around them, above all, to have some idea of what it is they want to achieve and a very good idea as to how to achieve it. Now, of course, one of the biggest problems Secure is facing will be tackling the party's anti-Semitism problem. Uh, there has been a recent internal report that has been quite damning. Uh, what's your response uh, to that report and what does Secure need to do in response? Well, there are two reports. One, which is being produced by the Quality and Human Rights Commission, uh, which he will, and has already indicated, will implement in full. The second was a leaked report put together by the supporters of Jeremy Corbyn, 800 pages of private uh, interchanges on social media, which he has, uh, Sakir Starmer, set up an investigation to identify uh, who did it, who leaked it, what the content was, does it have any salience and lessons for us, and where necessary action will be taken. So I hope that as he moved very quickly to reassure the Jewish community, so he will be able to take the necessary steps to back up that reassurance with the kind of actions that says that this was a blight on a historic great political party that all of, us, all of us were ashamed of. We've been able to put that behind us and to move on to facing the future with confidence. What's the one king, uh, key thing that Sakir needs to do to restore Labour as an election-winning party? I think Sakir Starmer's 
major challenge is to convince skeptical voters that Labour has not only reverted to a party that they can support because they can see it acting, developing, presenting as a credible alternative government, Mm -hmm. but also that the lessons have been learnt from the fiasco from 2015 onwards. In other words, there have to be very clear signals of substantial change, not just the right words, not just reassurance that we're not uh, going back to some of the crazier uh, policies, but actually that we've understood why the electorate rejected those policies so substantially in December 2019. If people get that message, they'll understand that the Labour Party has changed as it did in the 1980s and early 90s to become the electable government with the greatest majority and historic majority, even greater than 1945, which I was privileged to be able to take advantage of in 1997 when I joined the cabinet. Now, I know what your answer is going to be to this question, but uh, indulge me. Um, Do you think Secure has what it takes to be PM? Yes, I do. I think he has the background, he has the experience, he has the professionalism, he has the forensic uh, mindset, and he has the confidence to put a team around him which will ensure that it will work. And those elements are true of all leaders. Ideas, the ability to build a team, to have confidence in that team, uh, and to be able to demonstrate leadership in practice, sometimes at the most difficult times. And, you know, the Leaders' Council, those sharing their thoughts with uh, um, the kind of thing that we're doing now uh, with uh, a podcast, but also joining us in linking up in that network of people who can support and help each other and learn from Mm -hmm. each other. That is what needs to be done in politics as it needs to be done in business. Thank you very much indeed, Matthew. Well, thank you for coming on the the program. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you very much, and good luck to all those listening in what has been a nightmare scenario. Good luck for the future. Have courage have confidence, and yes, listen to those who know more about business than I ever will. Thank you, Lord Blanket. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.